What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. We're back, Halal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very well. So nice to once again see your <laughs> your smiling face over there. <laughs> um, still nice to not be sponsored by anyone. I'll sure. say that. Yeah. And uh, it it is more than one week to recap, Graham. Like, yeah, we missed last week. I can't remember why we missed last week, but we missed it. You had you were playing in a band again. Oh, right. Yeah, we were having we were like practicing for that show. Yeah. Sorry. Something happened Thursday, and then we just said, well. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. We're not contractually We're obligated. Not obligated, yeah. yeah. So, you know, alternative sports recap, just to get in there real quick. Hawks season is over. Hawks season is over. Um, yeah, a lot has happened since, uh, since last year. Yeah, that seems like so long ago. But, but it was only like, what, last week? The Hawks won that game five when we were recording two weeks ago. Right. And then... Uh, Promptly defeated. Lost in frustrating fashion in yeah. game six. And they game usually could have won. Yep. So, Hawks off season. We will not start with that. No. Because we've got a lot of Braves talk. Yes. We've got to uh, recap the NFL draft. We finally know what the Falcons are doing. This team is coming together. It's very exciting, Graham. Per our pre-show you know, pre notes, let's start with some Braves talk. Yeah, so Braves are doing well, Adam. Best record in the National League, 24-11. and 11. Finally won a series at home over Baltimore. It was a fantastic series. They have won five of their last six. Uh, you know, on paper, everything's firing all cylinders, but there's trouble brewing in, uh, in Braves country, I would say, in the sense that um, Von Grissom had a very rough outing with the big league club, sent down, I think, uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning um, after making a number of errors. I think he made like six or seven errors, if not more, and then – he was on pace to have like negative 135 defensive runs saved if he stayed at the short stayed at the shortstop position for the rest of the season. And uh, like you said a couple of weeks ago, I guess the Braves front office knew what it was doing when it uh, assigned Vaughn Grissom to AAA to start the season. He didn't play horribly offensively, but he didn't really hit for any pop, not making any hard contact. Had a couple of nice hits, a couple of clutch moments. He didn't kill you. But it, 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 he did nothing to retain the job once Arcia got healthy. And Arcia's back and looks pretty good so far. So that, that's the first thing I guess it, we can jump into. Yeah, it was wild because um, we went to, Graham and I went to the game Saturday night. Excellent game against the Orioles um, that the Braves ended up winning. But, yeah, Grissom was in that game. And, like, he, he still had, like, some rookie moments. But you got you to gotta give the guy some grace. Like, I don't think we're – writing the kid off no not at all as um ron washington who spent all that time with him in spring training he, he was talking about how you know he's essentially trying to learn how to play the shortstop position still like and in the big leagues so like you got to think you're playing for a first place team crowds of forty thousand. you know i remember from my baseball years once you get in your head about missing some ground balls Oh, yeah, or, that, or having that, some bad throws, you're screwed. That yeah, sticks with you. Matt so, Olson just went yard, by the way. Oh, very nice. Yeah, right into the chop house. Anywho, Grissom. Yeah. You know, he's a young kid. I don't think we write him off, say, oh, that we need to immediately convert him to left field. Like, I don't think you need to do that. It, it sounds like he's grown even for like from where he was in spring training. Yeah, people are acting like he's 28 or something, and, you know, he's, you know, in his prime, and this is it. This is what we're going to get for the rest of our lives, and that's just simply not true. The guy's... 
you know, barely turned 22. Got a, you know, he's played a combined 60 games between last year and this year at the big league level. He got virtually no time at AAA last year, so give him a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that last game was kind of just the last straw for Vaughn where not only did he have that big fielding error, his uh, sixth of the season, where, you know, I think Dansby had eight all of last year or something like that to kind of put that in context. Um, but he also had, like, he should have had a triple where he, like, yeah. just wasn't looking at Ron Washington. I remember turning to the guy next to me and be like, did did Ron actually put up the stop sign there? And he's like, oh, no, Bo, you abs- you know he was waving him on. So yeah. it was so funny watching Ron Washington. He was like – he was like telling him to come, and then when it, he realized that Grissom wasn't going to make it, then he threw out the stop sign, and then he just clapped his hands. And you know, from our perspective, we couldn't see what he was saying, but you saw, you just see his head just like snap forward like he was in a car accident. He was pissed yeah. off that Vaughn didn't make that trouble because Vaughn hit the ball down the line. Uh, Santander tries to make a catch, misses it, and so the ball is going all the way to the wall. So you got to you got to get three there. Yeah. So that's just yeah, that was the nail, like you said, nail and coffin. Yeah. So Arcia's back. They. I mean, he had taken some swings, and you know, I guess it was that that dire that they were like, "Hey, let's let's do it." No, no rehab, no nothing. And he was in there eleven thirty a.m. Sunday morning, playing some really solid shortstop. Yeah, had a couple big plays where probably made a difference in a, a one run ball game that went to extra innings. Yeah, and that was such a great series that whole Orioles series. It was just good pitching, timely hitting, um, Amazing defensive plays. Orioles made a couple of incredible plays in left field. Eddie Rosario made an incredible play in left field when Dylan Lee loaded the bases. I can't remember if that was the sixth or the seventh, but he he saved, you know, probably two or three runs there. Um, and then the Orioles did the same thing on Austin Riley fly out to left field. Um, can't re- uh, God, I can't remember who made the catch. It was one of the best catches I've seen in a while. And uh, just a really well-played series and enjoyed the hell out of it. I mean, every game was fantastic especially the last two not just because of the Braves won but it was just back and forth good baseball that last game went to the 12th inning and it was uh it was super intense really fun you just every pitch you just felt like something something crazy could happen yep yeah Kevin Pilar man getting it done and that was a really good move by Snicks I can't remember who was, it was uh, Rosario Rosario's out of facing a left-hander and the Orioles have a very solid bullpen gets Pilar in there Pilar's done excellent work uh, all year against uh, against lefties, and he just comes up and mashes a two-run homer to give the Braves the the, the lead weight. I think it was like the eighth inning or something like that. So, um, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah, that was positive. The other positive from that series before things have gotten a little darker in the last day off was um, Rysel Iglesias returned. He looked also great. on that Saturday game. He has the we worst. got a lot of intel from that Saturday we did. game. He had the worst uh, intro song I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. It was like some Gen Z generic crap. And it, was, it was edited in a way that you would expect to be edited to like Welcome to the Jungle or you know a song that actually is decent yeah. or intimidating, even if it's not decent. And it just did not get you pumped up at all. But it must work for him because he just mowed the Orioles down. Like, I'm hoping they just weren't expecting him back that series and didn't have his stuff, like, ready. Or yeah. maybe they had it sat down with him this year. Yeah, because the lights go down, and, you're, and it's like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, oh, shit, what's this song going to be? And you just see, like, all this stuff on the on the screen. And then he comes out, and the song starts playing. It's like, it's like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah. But he came in first first game, throwing strikes in a one run game and just mowed him down, no problems. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Minter also looked great in his appearance in that game. 
said the Orioles down one, two, three, struck out two. Um, so hopefully he's gotten over his uh, just recent stretch of not giving up like just multiple runs, not pitching well. Um, so that was really encouraging to see. One guy who's before we get into the Max Fried stuff, what what's going on with your boy Austin Riley, Adam? He's, uh, he's had a very rough go of it. Really, since August of last year, he's had a rough go of it. What's going on? I'm assuming you got some stats if you're pulling up August of last year for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can let you I can let you know. I know he's been struggling the last couple weeks or so. Yeah, but I mean, well, if you go back to ever since he signed that mega deal, um, I don't have like all the stats in front of me or anything like that. But in August of of that. Of last year, after he signed that deal, his slugging percentage um, in July was 885, which is absurd and not sustainable. But it dipped to 389 in uh, in August. His batting average also went down to 241. And then in September, he hit, he slashed 206, 310, 412, with only a 722 OPS. And it just feels like he hasn't really gotten back on the right track so far, even this year, hitting a paltry you know 246, 331 on base, 418 slugging. Playing fine, you know, decent defense, but it's just, you know, we expect more from Austin Riley. Yeah, I mean, now that you put those numbers out there, I didn't realize it was, it was that sustained. Like, I felt like he kind of started the year hot. Yeah, he and did. And then just had a really rough stretch recently. So, I'm not I'm not worried about Austin. I don't, I don't think he was just here for the big contract. No, I don't think so know? either. But it is just weird how, you know, just he has not been that fearsome beast um, that we know he can be. So... Um, only hitting 229 so far in May and uh, 258 in April. And, you know, the on-base thing is – like, it, it just feels weird. I was, that Sunday game, I really tried to watch his at-bats more in depth, and he was he just seems like he's guessing on a lot of stuff. It was uh, – I can't remember who he was facing on the Orioles, but really solid pitcher who had, like, a 90-mile-an-hour off-speed, like, breaking pitch and then, had, like, a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. He's late on both of them in consecutive pitches. So he's just – his timing's a little messed up, I feel like, right now. And um, reportedly, he's been tinkering with his mechanics Uh-oh. and trying to figure some things out, according to uh, uh, who was it? I think Kevin McAlpin I was listening to the other day. Um, so, you know, it's just something to keep an eye on. It's just like I want some more consistent production from, from Austin. He's the one who lost like that. Um, we had the hitting, like AAA hitting coach that was like his guy that we lost during COVID because he wouldn't get vaccinated. Right. And that was like Austin's dude. And I know that he's like had a good rapport with uh, Chipper as well. Whereas like sometimes you just need like a Chipper session with Austin to kind of like simplify. But like I, once right. he starts tinkering like that, it could be bad for, for a while. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if the Braves can bring this. I don't know. I don't remember who the hell that coach is. But apparently he loved him. Um, yeah. So it's one of those things where you, you hope he – I mean, like, here's the thing. Chipper Jones is an anti-vaxxer as well, and he's back because the, the Braves lifted that vaccine yeah. requirement. So go get this guy back, man. Help, help. you know, if he was if he helped make Austin Riley into who he was, then by all means. That's worth a couple million dollars right there. Yes, bring his ass back. Yeah. Um, and it's not like he's worthless trash or anything. He just hasn't been the guy, you know. When, when you've got a team who's seven games up, you got to nitpick a little bit. You do have to nitpick. But this is a problem going back to August, so it's like, you start to, I start to worry about that a little bit, but you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, Marcelo Zuna w- rose from the dead a little bit over the last uh, week and a half or so. 
maybe we, you just needed the podcast to go off the air. Big time, man. Like he's hitting like 300 in May with like five or six homers now. He just crushed in Florida. What he hit with three bombs in Florida and then. Yeah, I think he hit four home runs in like five days or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's like I'm still not saying I'm a believer. Oh, you, you, were, you were all about it. Well, I mainly do that to just troll you. Okay. Like, I've seen him be really bad for a really long time, but, I've like, I've kind of been half-joking. Like, he's also, like, I've seen him be, you know, an elite hitter for stretches of time as well. So, you know, just, like, you can't, you can't, how terrible would it be for us to have given up on him after a couple weeks, and then he goes to, like, the Mets and starts raking. Sure. Like, as long as we're seven games up in the division, we can experiment some and just like really be sure either way. Yeah, yeah. The May- the May results have been encouraging. Even the at bats are getting better too. Like he's. It seems like most of his at bats are going at least five, six, even more than that. This it feels like seven, eight, nine pitches deep. Like he's really being more patient. He's not getting fooled as much by uh, breaking balls as he weekly grounds out on one as I talk about him. But um. Got a run in. He did get. He did drive a run in. So I mean, he's been productive. Like Adam said, he's hitting three hundred four with four twenty nine on base, eight twenty six slugging percentage, and that's another thing too. He has five walks in the month of May, and he's only had twenty three at bats before that at bat just now. He had only, he had eight total in April and fifty five at bats. So that just shows that he is making adjustments at the plate. He's working on his game. He's getting better. If he's anywhere, if he can somehow get back to anywhere near. 2020 Marcel then we are that, I mean, that'd, that'd be amazing I just I still think the last two years are more indicative uh of who he is as a player at this point but this is a nice little stretch he's on we'll try to enjoy it for what it is and see where it takes us I mean to the point that they walked Marcel intentionally in order to face Michael Harris right in the game that we won on Sunday right in extras um pretty wild that is that is kind of crazy so uh, Mike wasn't doing much until then either so um that was good for Michael to get that walk-off hit. We, yeah. we need him to start producing for sure. Offense is killing it. Offense is doing good. We're talking like we're, you know, not not doing so hot. Let's talk about the guys who are doing hot, Adam. Uh, your boy Sean Murphy was the NL player of the, the week. Uh, he has been insane. Yeah. My God. Throwing people out like this, like it's the easiest thing in the world, hitting bombs. I've never seen a catcher with an arm like his. Yeah, I think and it's just like right on the bag every time. Yeah, he he hosed uh, someone on Saturday night, and like the 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 second he popped up, I was like, oh, he's hosing that guy. Yeah, like no no freaking problem. Um, yeah, he's he's doing it all, and um, I look pretty foolish. I would say right about now, being like, oh, you know, you don't need this guy because you already got um. You know, William Contreras, who admittedly is having a decent season, almost hitting 300, but uh, the defense of Murphy is better and the offense of Murphy is better too. And, you know, Sean Murphy's slugging like, God, like 600 or something right now. I mean, he is just, yeah, he's slugging 621. He's got nine home runs, 28 RBIs, and uh, hitting 282 with a 1048 OPS. I mean, that's just absurd. It's getting that production out of a guy who's playing catcher every day also and playing elite defense. Yeah, I mean, I, it's also like if you look at, you look at, have you seen what's going on with the Cardinals this year? They're terrible. But, but like they just benched, like, so their big offseason signing was Wilson Contreras. Right. Who they brought in to take over for Yadier. And they have, like, after like a couple of days ago, they made him the full time DH because the pitchers have sucked so much 
because he has no rapport with them. Yeah. And especially like with the pitch clock and play now, like you got to be in tune with all these catch, uh, all your pitchers. So right. like Murphy has come in and, you know, switching to a brand new league, not only learning all the pitchers in the league that he's got to face, but all of his pitchers that he's, uh, that are thrown to him. Right. And they love him. Yeah. So it's more than just his arm. Like he calls a great game. Yeah. That, that's a critical part of it. And you don't really, you don't really see any like pass balls. Um, even balls in the dirt are like 98% of the time blocked. Um, he's a, just a freaking fortress. He's about as complete a player as you can possibly want at this point in time, or just in general, at any point in time. It's it's fascinating. So, Anthopolis, smart? Yeah, I mean, we'll see how he does the rest of the season. Um, I mean, this is definitely the best season so far of his career, and keep in mind that he's only played two full seasons at the major league level, so it's like he's – the scary part for other teams, I guess, is that he's not finished. He's not a finished product. Not in his prime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is. Uh, he is twenty eight, but you know, he's. This is only his. Will be his third full season in the big leagues. So, um, that's the one area of concern for me of just saying, how good can he be? I don't know if this is going to be a sustainable kind of like level of production offensively, but the defense is unbelievable, and the offense so far has been unbelievable too. So it's like living in the golden age of, of Sean Murphy at this moment. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of, I don't think we were anticipating him holding down the cleanup spot for us all year. Like he kind of no. started the year six, seven, somewhere he, in there. He's never been so good at, at taking a pitch. I mean, he, here's the crazy thing. He's a 426 on base percentage so far this year. That's elite as hell. Um, career high before that was 364 on the COVID 2020 season. But last year he walked 56 times. This year he's already walked twenty one times. He's getting on base like like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, um, I mean, outstanding. And it, it helps having good players around you as well. Yes, for you, sure. Like oh, coming from Oakland, where you got nothing. Yeah, to like this they, team, they just had to game plan for him basically. Yeah, so that, um, really that and then coming to a hitter's park as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, been loving him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Acuna, obviously, just dude beast mode all the time every day we take it for granted at this point yeah no for sure he's he's just been unreal um he's showing off his arm the other day as well oh what a throw we yeah. got that guy in extra innings uh of the potential sacrifice fly from second yeah perfect perfect throw i mean he's hitting what like 360 still yeah he's hit well he's hitting 338 only 338, Adam, with a 431 on base percentage, a 551 slugging percentage. He's already been worth 2.1 war uh, so far this year. So, you know, he's definitely one of the best players in the game and uh, fully healthy. We've been saying it all year. He looks fully healthy, and that just continues. And I'm really tired of these idiots on social media questioning this guy's manhood. Um. Two times in the last week, he gets hit by a 93-mile-per-hour ball on the shoulder against the Mets. Comes out of the game. You know, he he, he screamed. He, he fell to the ground. He, you know, it hurt. Yeah. You know, and he came out as precaution. They fouled the fouled, uh, ball off his knee a couple days later. Comes out of the game as precaution in the eighth inning. And everybody, so that one people, scared me, man. Yeah, everybody on social media is like, oh, he's such a, such a pussy. He's such a wimp. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like where where are you when he's throwing guys out from right field where where are you when he's you know already stolen um 
15 bases and you know when we're in the second week of may where are you when he's got a 551 slugging percentage where, where, where's all the chatter then like like i don't want to hear it how about you take a ball to the fucking shoulder at 93 how about you foul a ball off your uh, off your knee um those people can screw off that's, that's ridiculous it, there's just a segment of you know atlanta sports twitter that you know it's gonna be, they're like that with acuna they're like that with trey young yeah it's like you don't appreciate you know and trey young we, that we can He's got a more a lot more things to work on with his game, anyways. Yeah. But um, you know, people don't like to comment on the great games he has. It's just let's bitch about let's this bitch about or something. that. Yeah. Yeah. And Acuna, you know, has done things in the past I haven't liked. You know, when he wasn't hustling in the the NLDS against the Cardinals in 2019. Of course, hold him accountable. But to say like he's a he's a wimp because uh, you know he fell to the ground for getting hit by a pitch. It's like okay, yeah. I mean. I, I just don't see what you're talking about. Like, I'm s- sorry that the guy gets hit by a pitch and screams and bitches about it. Like, some people can handle that better than others. And, you know, but plus, but, but it doesn't make you any less of a man or any less of a player. Plus, you got to think, like, I feel like he loves playing baseball more than, like, anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. like, And he just loves being out there so much. And, like, it was so tough for him to miss out on the World Series year. Yeah. So he's he's a little hesitant yeah. if something like that happens. I mean, especially if you foul a pit. I don't know if that was the same knee as his surgically repaired knee, but it could have been. Like, yeah. you've got to be going nuts in your head. Yeah, you know? for sure. So uh, a big – F you to all those people out there who are complaining about how a guy reacts when he's hit by a ball. So, uh, let's talk about Max Freed. Scary times ahead for this rotation, which we talked about in our season preview show. Where's the depth? The depth is all in AAA and shit, I guess. It's back-end depth. It's not front-of-the-rotation depth. Yeah, but you didn't go out and sign, like, when you had the resources to go sign a guy to strengthen your rotation. We didn't do that. And now, paying the price a little bit for it. With Kyle Wright is now back on the injury list. Max Freed is back on the injury list with a forearm strain that's going to require a decent amount of rehab. This is not going to be a short-term thing, according to all the prognosticators. So now, your rotation, your top three is pretty much Strider, Morton, and Bryce Elder, which doesn't look nearly as good as Strider, Freed, and uh, Kyle Wright. So, But thank God for Bryce Elder. This, this kid's been ridiculous. 41 innings pitched. 174 ERA. He's only given up three home runs. Like, he's been... I'm worried about Bryce Elder. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> the, the guy with the most war on our entire team, yeah, pitching-wise. No, I mean, like, I'm not saying he hasn't pitched well, but he... Balls are getting smacked off off, off the barrel. Eventually, that's going to that's gonna turn. I think he's a perfectly solid pitcher, but um, his baseball savant scares me. I don't know if you're familiar with baseball savant, Adam. No. I've heard of it. Uh, so Baseball Savant does this interesting thing where they're able to put people into uh, percentile rankings based off of uh, things like exit velocity. So for a pitcher, like exit velocity, hard hit percentage, um, barrel percentage, um, things like that. Fastball velocity, spin, uh, strikeout rate. So these uh, – and it's proven to be a pretty uh, decent tool in terms of uh, analytics and – analysis overall so his uh exit average exit velocity is in uh, the ninth percentile and that's bad <laughs> that's bad got it um they did this whole thing like poor average grade pours in the blue so like the lower your numbers are the worse you are 
Uh, so average exit velocity is nine in the ninth percentile, very bad hard hit percentage nine. Um, and people are not really chasing him as well. They're, they're not really chasing his pitches. Um, people seem on his shit. And he has, his fastball velocity is also at a nine fastball spin at four. So that's telling me that a lot of people are you know, hitting him hard, especially with the hard hit percentage and the average exit velocity. Those are the two things that scare me the most. And you can see it when you watch him. It's like there are plenty of balls that just fly off the bat, but they're, they're right at people. Eventually that... Unless he changes something, that's going to turn around. So, that's regardless a, of how good the ERA, that's a lot of innings is. for just to be all luck, though. It's not all luck, I don't think, but it's it just speaks to the fact that people are hitting him hard, and eventually regression will come with that. Um, you know, Chris I'll, Johnson had a very lucky year. I'll say again, though, thank God for Bryce Elder. He's covered more innings than anyone on our team right now. Yeah. I mean, he's pitched more innings than Strider. Yeah. Morton, Freed, obviously. Right. And I also say the majority of his starts have come against Washington and Miami. So it's like, he's got, he's, this is a big prove it moment for Bryce. He good against Baltimore. He did look pretty good against Baltimore. But I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, it's his, it's his spot. There's nothing to lose anymore. No, there isn't. So I guess we're going to see what we got out of Dodd, Schuster, and. Soroka. I still think they're not going to rush Soroka. Like I know that, you know, some of the peripherals haven't been great in Gwinnett. I think they have. Actually, I think they're better than, like, the ERA sucks. Like, the ERA is, like, at five, but the FIP is at, like, three, four, four, which is great. Yeah. So, uh, the field independent independent pitching, which tells me that the things, that, and those are the things that the, the pitcher can control, he's doing a really good job with. So, that tells me if he's can take that same stuff to Atlanta and he has a better defense behind him, the ERA will get better. You know, things will get better, hopefully. Yeah. Um, they, they don't want to bring him up until they know that he's of ready. And you got to think, like, the beginning of the year when we didn't have Freed or Wright, like, we survived with what we had. True. So I'm sure we can continue to play good baseball. It's just, you know, great opportunity for Schuster, great opportunity for Dodd. And Elder. Yeah. And he, Elder's definitely taking advantage of it. Um, but certainly a bummer. But yes. th- thank God. It, I mean, all reports are that Freed is avoiding like Tommy John or anything. Yeah, crazy like that. Yeah. He's just got to, you know, he's got to be pissed off. Yeah, but I mean, I'm glad that these these guys like Bray seem pretty good about speaking up if something's bothering them a little bit, and like they don't take chances with with their stars. You know. Yeah. Although Cranus got really pissed off at Kyle Wright when he was taking him out of the game, or when he was talking to him before he got taken out of the game. In that game against the Marlins uh, last Wednesday, you know, we didn't see it. I thought he was pissed off because he was trying to stay in the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was saying, like, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but just the, the team in general is pretty good. And yes, generally these young guys are going to speak up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kyle Wright, second time. I don't think he's, this is me overreacting completely, but it's just making me think, like, Everything with the shoulder inflammation, the cortisone shot, and whatever the hell's going on with them now, he ain't he ain't gonna be right this year potentially. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna say all that. We've seen crazier things happen. Sure, it's just but, been a very uh, slow start, and it feels like he hasn't gotten his feet under him yet. We're mid May, you know. Yeah, I mean, injuries will do that to you. Yeah. He, had, he looked 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 like the right of old in a couple starts until it kind of fell apart. Yeah, late, but um, 
Yeah, we need one of those guys to step up, one of those three. I You you can't make a move now because no one makes moves like that in May, but I would expect, unless... Hell, even if two of these guys come in and start pitching fantastic, I would really like Anthopolis to look into making a move closer to the trade deadline for a really good starter. What about, Just give us some depth. What about a, a veteran depth for the end of the rotation? You both. You want, I want both. You want to give Madison Bumgarner a try? No. You want to give Julio Tehran a try? No. Uh, there's another bum like that there's out g- there. I don't want a bum. I want a guy who's like halfway decent. Give me like – Give me Zach Grinky. I want to be opposed to Zach Grinky. He can eat innings. He's not what he was, but he can do – okay, give me Zach Grinky, and then you know, that's the cheap Anthopolis version. And then Anthopolis actually needs to go out and get a, a beast. Go get somebody from a team that's – would be out of the race and let's put the pedal to the metal here. I can't rely on all these young guys. I can't sit here and look at the rest of the season and be like, yep, these guys aren't getting the promised land. But the vast majority of them, other than Strider and Morton, haven't thrown a full season of baseball. That's just terrifying. And you have no idea what you're going to get from Wright or Freed or if they're going to come back. Or if they do come back, they'll be half of what they were. I'm not really that concerned about Freed. You know who he is. But Wright, no idea. Get me get me a Zach Greinke type and go get me a beast. This is that's cla- what I want. This is classic Graham GM versus Anthopolis. But don't you like, agree that? It's do, kinda... do, do you think that Anthopolis has had a meeting like that about panicking about I'm these guys panicky. coming back? I'm just saying you're a little panicky. I don't, okay, I'm just saying if this is who we're rolling with the rest of the year potentially, that ain't that ain't enough to win a World Series. I don't think this is. I mean, Freed is going to be back. We don't know that. Okay. He hopefully is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't trust Kyle Wright at this point. Got to go get me somebody, man. Well, fortunately, we got a few months to figure that out. We do. We do. It's not like you go make a knee-jerk move now. No one trades right now. but It's in a be- better place than the Mets and all their 35-year-old pitchers that are also hurt. 35? That's being generous, Adam. They're all like 40. Well, it's like an average of 35 yeah. with Senga being 30. Right. That's hilarious. The Mets are – the rest of this division – is trash right now. It's surprising. Not at all what we expected. No. I would say that the Braves are in the potentially other than the NL Central uh, worst division in baseball. Everyone other than the Braves is under 500. Uh, the Mets are the closest seven games back. Marlins are seven and a half games back. Phillies are eight games back. And uh, Washington, not out of the race yet, nine games back. So, I mean... We know the we know the Nationals and Marlins aren't real contenders this year, um, but I was really expecting more from the Phillies. But you know, the thing I always like to look at with these things: the Braves have a plus fifty six run differential. That's great, especially at this point in the season. That's the best in the National League. Um, and then the Mets have a negative ten run differential. So you start to think that maybe they're going to eventually get their shit together. But Philly negative twenty nine run differential. That's the worst in the division, or not the worst in the division, but the uh, the fourth worst in the division uh, behind Miami, so or just a little ahead of Miami. So like they are having a really down season, I think. I'd be so pissed to be in the American League East right now. You got the Yankees in last place at nineteen and seventeen. Yeah, that's tough, man. Tampa Bay and Baltimore just doing work. So yeah, it's been kind of a cool year. Like just looking at these standings and a bunch of different teams up in the top, you got the Rangers, 
in first place. You got the Pirates, the Pirates. in first place. Yep. Unfortunately, the Dodgers have started playing good again, so they're in first place. But, yep. Um, twins and Rays, it's like, you know, shows. And, like, with the Orioles, too, it shows, like, you can have your bad years, but if you, like, draft well and are patient. Yeah. The Orioles definitely followed the Braves' rebuild structure in terms of they just they just stashed prospects. They kind of did it, like, sort of the Braves – did a lot of things with like pitching prospects and mood pitching prospects. They just drafted a ton of like really good uh, offensive prospects. Not only they didn't draft pitchers either, but like, and they're contributing like guys like Ali Rushman, Mount Castle. I know your boy Gunnar Henderson's letting you down in fantasy so far, but I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Um, they're just building, you know, they just took their time to build a, a team that, you know, came out of nowhere last year, won like 83 games, which isn't great, but they weren't expected to do that. Now they're kind of like a year ahead of their, their rebuild. So, And then you add in some veterans like Adam Frazier. I like that Adam guy, Frazier's man. a very solid player. Yeah. yeah. Like we were discussing this the other day. You got to have those just like veteran depth pieces like we have now with Pilar. That like yeah, Pilar Hilliard. Great, great fourth, fifth outfielders that yeah. c- come in and start when there's been injuries. Yeah. And, or when you don't have an everyday left fielder, good to have those guys. Yep. Yeah. So – Make, making it happen. Yeah. and um, But I would also say I'm not going to get overly confident about like running away with the division just yet because we know exactly what happened last year with the Braves. The Braves were kind of in a similar situation to what the Mets were in until, what, like June of last year. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we overcame a 10.5 game deficit. Um, it can be done. Should not underestimate anybody. But it is just interesting to – see this really so slow start. And it's cool to see a really hot start by the Braves because, like, under Snifker, that just doesn't happen usually. Yeah. Usually it's just very much a trudge through the mud through the first, like, few months, and then a, a switch gets flipped or something happens, and they go nuts. Yeah. Um, Normally at this time you're like Frank the Tank, really freaking out about how – I can't believe – We need to trade everyone. We should have signed so-and-so in the offseason. Should make all these trades. I still think we should have signed a, a good pitcher, but, you know, what do I know? Um but yeah, no, it's it's a nice, it's a really nice start to the season, and I think that what's really impressive about it is that the Braves have been so ravaged by injuries. You think about everybody that's gotten injured. Um, you know, we've gone through it before: Darno, Harris, um, Freed, right? right. Um, you know, there's other people: uh, Iglesias, you know, Arcia, Arcia, yeah. The list goes on. I'm sure there's some other guys we're not remembering, and yet they had the best record in the National League just because they've just played really great baseball overall and guys have stepped up when they and they've had to um darno is back which is also good news yeah surprised uh, he's not in the lineup at all tonight but um ozuna getting that dh start i think they're going to ease him back they probably want to ease him back say hey take a game in you know do some drills yeah. et cetera, et cetera. i expect him he will i bet he will get back in the lineup maybe not tomorrow but um during the uh the next series that starts on on Friday, I bet that's when it's going to happen. Nope. So, there's your Braves report. We'll take a quick break and not do uh, an ad, and then we'll <laughs> talk NFL draft 2023. All right, Adam, we're back to talk NFL draft. Super late post draft report. Uh, the Falcons didn't really surprise me. Kind of saw this coming, just based off how Fontenot likes to build teams from the outside in as opposed from the inside out. Uh, they drafted Bijan Robinson at number eight. And I will say this. 
At the very least. The running back out of Texas, for those of you. Yeah, the running back out of Texas. Sorry. At the very least, uh, everybody universally says, and that doesn't mean he is going to do it, but everybody universally says this guy is like a generational talent. He's an absolute monster. There are no questions at all about his ability or his moral character or anything like that or what kind of teammate he is. Everything's off the charts, five stars, 10 out of 10, whatever. Um, And when you watch the tape, you can sort of see why. And when you look at the stats, particularly last year, you know, like over 1,900 all-purpose yards, 20 total touchdowns. Uh, Jesus. You know, like he seems like the complete package. I can see the argument about, you know, we need defense. We, you know, we could have used that supposedly generational uh, – it was a guard or tackle from Northwestern that everybody was going nuts about. Um it's like, yeah, I probably could have been a little more excited about that pick, but I also can't deny that this dude's talent is supposed to be just unbelievable. A lot of people are comparing him to Adrian Peterson. Um, so, you know, the pick is made. It is what it is. I mean, the, the Falcons had like the third best rushing offense last year and just made it even better, which is kind of insane. Um, so there you have it. I'm, I'm not like jumping for joy about this pick, but I also – Every time I try to poke holes in it, I'm like, well, he is supposed to be just an absolute freak. So, And if you didn't like Jalen Carter, then this guy was probably the next best overall available player. Yeah, with, with Jalen Carter, who, uh, of course, went right right after Bijan to um, the Eagles, where all Georgia Bulldogs go go to play. Um, it, there, was, it was good seeing like an article – yesterday about just like all these other gms kind of like talking about carter and how he wasn't like showing remorse for like the the car accident back in january like everyone was still questioning his work ethic and like even like a lot of his ex-teammates so it's like i think philly is a place where he could do well with other you know bulldogs there yeah or a guy like fletcher cox is just that's exactly who you want to learn from right Right, but yeah, just like the familiar familiarity of having like your teammates there, that's a good spot for him. Yeah, like he has bigger busk potential than Bijan Robinson. I would agree with that. And uh, you know, I think it's one of those picks where once like we get to week one and we see him in action, like he's going to take Atlanta by storm, man. That's what everybody's saying. Um, and and he's just a complete player. He can he can pick up uh, pass rushers. He's really good out of the backfield. If there's one thing that Algier didn't do well last year, didn't really get a ton of opportunities, but he's not really a great pass catching <laughs> running back. So you could you could see packages where they're both in the backfield together. You could see Bijan line up at wide receiver. You can put him anywhere on the field. Yeah, I was listening to a um, Texas Longhorn podcast. Oh, wow, we yeah. did some real research here. Well, he was on Locked On Falcons. Uh, okay. Uh, which is a nice little crossover to bring on. Um, and he was saying, A, like, Texas's offensive line last year was just, like, complete trash. Oh, that makes it even like, more impressive. a bunch of, like, rookie guards, a rookie center, um, just very unimpressive. And also, they didn't utilize him. Your boy Sarkeesian, the coach, just didn't utilize him, like, pass catching as much as he should have. Of course he didn't. Yeah, and, like, th- this this guy was <laughs> – he was just saying how I was like – you know, the Falcons just got a lot of new fans because, like, anyone who's, like, interacted with Bijan or, like, you know, seen him in the press, if you're, like, a Texas Longhorn fan, like, you automatically fall in love with him. Yeah. So, it's like 
you know, going back to Jalen Carter, it's like people questioning whether or not he wants to play football. That's a problem. You know, I don't want to mess with another D, defensive lineman in the first round that doesn't love playing football. Jerry. <laughs> well, I, no, I, was, I was thinking Vic Beasley. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, just like the character, like we know the talent's there. That's a given. Like might be the most talented player in the draft that we got. And we know the talent's there. The only, like, question mark is oh, positional, like, value or whatever. Like mm-hmm. he's the 15th highest paid running back. Right. I'm not going to care at the end of the day. We filled in a ton of depth in free agency. Like, we added a couple more nice pieces in this draft. And if this is just, like, a generational player, let's go, Graham. Yeah, I think that's, that's at the end of the day, it's, it's a good way to look at it. And like I said, it's not like there's no, you know, unless he gets really injured or screwed up or whatever, it sounds like his condition is world-class as well. Um Hell, even if he does get injured and never plays a freaking down on paper, he was a, he's a pretty damn good pick based off all the peripherals, checks all the boxes. Like, I can't get too upset about this, even though I really wanted, you know, an offensive line, lineman, like a beast defensive lineman. But you got to ask yourself, you know, we already talked about Carter, but anyone else, you know, in the draft that people were thinking about, um, you know, would he, would that person have been a better pick than Robinson? I don't know. But we, you know, what you're going to get with this guy. Like he is almost as sure. Like so many people have have you know, written articles and said, you know, this is about as sure of a pick as you can get. So of course he's going to come to the Falcons and be an absolute bust. But you know, on paper, yeah, and, it just looks it looks beautiful. And you certainly like, there was the other camp saying that we should have traded back and you could have got him later. You can't take that argument because the Lions drafted a running back at like eleven or twelve. So right. So you know, you know, it, it was. Which kind of makes ours our pick look even better, right? So, let's talk about this Matthew Bergeron. We're starting to get into players we know nothing about. Who is uh, offensive lineman from Syracuse? Falcons traded a pick for this guy. Supposedly going to slide in to be the starting guard, or one of the starting guards. And uh, even though he doesn't have a lot of experience there, but all the prognosticators say that's going to be he's just a natural fit in terms of uh, his peripherals. He's a tackle by trade, he's right? A tackle by trade, um, which means you can move him there later if you need to. Yeah, and so once we got to this pick, that's true, right? Yeah, he can definitely play tackle as well. So once, once the uh, so what's interesting about this is that we see how Terry is approaching uh, the offseason. Free agency was all about the defense. Caden Ellis, Anya Mehta, um, Hawkins, or what was the guy's name? The Bengals' uh, safety. Not Hawkins, but uh, Bates. Bates third. Um, you know, all these different guys coming into Calais Campbell help out the defense. And now he turns his attention to the draft and gets B. John Robinson and Matthew Bergeron to further strengthen uh, the Falcons' offense. And not only just strengthen the Falcons' offense, but strengthen the part of the Falcons' offense that worked the best last year in the running game. And I think another reason this was done is not only just the whole best player available bullshit, but it's also to ensure that Desmond Ritter has as little pressure on him as possible, that he's protected, and that he has a lot of weapons. So you see the strategy start to come to light here. And this is the first time I've really seen a big strategy come to light in terms of team building for Terry Fontenot. And a lot of that, the vast majority of that, I think, is due to the fact that he never had any salary cap to work with. And he had such a horrible roster to <laughs> work with every time he had a, uh, had a draft. So, Yeah, and like, I mean, I guess that was the, we were both kind of leaning for that North, Northwestern guard in the first round as well. 
But, you know, Bergeron, this is a guy where I saw a great clip in the, the Cowboys draft room where they were taking their first round pick at 26 overall. And they're between this guy that they did draft, like a D-tackle or Bergeron. So it's kind of cool hearing them like talk about Bergeron and then at the last minute go with the D-tackle. Mm-hmm. But um, he's a first-round talent. And it's like just one of those drafts that like – one of those draft picks that all the experts really loved. Um, and you're right. I mean, it sets up our offensive line. I think we're locked in with all these guys for like three years. Yeah, at least. At least. At yeah. least. Um, you'll have him, you know, Bergeron for, for at least four. Um, so – even the like the one thing that I don't like about this pick, and it's not the pick itself, I guess, but more so, we had to, you know you had to go for another draft pick to get him, and when there were other guys that were available that you know did naturally play guard that might be comparable, but I guess the Falcons really were excited about this player and particularly his versatility to be able to play tackle and guard. So, well, I think they have so much depth this year, like it's going to be a numbers crunch to see who makes this like final roster. Yeah. So I mean, they only had six total picks this year and I, I don't see like you know both of their seventh rounders necessarily even making the team sure you know so yeah. um that's why you can go up and make sure you get your guy yeah so then the falcons turned their attention to to defense and they drafted zach harrison uh edge rusher out of ohio state um so at first i was like oh great a edge rusher cool but then you start to check out the peripherals, and um, even though he has a lot of speed um, and some power, but um, and I also like that he is six foot five, two seventy four. The Falcons have historically drafted these like two hundred and thirty pound defensive ends, and it just never seems to work outside of the anomaly uh, Vic Beasley season. So it's really nice to be getting like a freaking beast, you know, physically on at, at edge. Um, you an arm length guy? What, what do you know about arm length? I don't really care about arm length. Honestly. What, what do you think? Throw, throw out a guess for what what good arm length is. Uh, thirty or forty and three eighths arms, forty inches, three eighths. <laughs> Doctor Graham, that's, that's your final that's answer. My, yeah, it's not it's not an ankle thing. So well, his are thirty six and a quarter inches. So okay, that seems pretty good. It might be. <laughs> 10-inch hands. 10-inch hands. Yeah, so uh, 34 and a half inch vertical. Um, so one of the things that is um, kind of concerning, he's, he seems to be a project pick, um, even despite the fact that he led Ohio State in pressures with 33 last season. Um, only had three and a half sacks last year. So that ratio, three and a half to 33, isn't great. But the fact that he's getting pressures is encouraging. Um he seems to profile to me as, you know, we already got some players like this. And, yeah, he's a uh, special teamer and, like, let him learn some. Right, but, you know, we already got guys like this with, um, you know, Malone and, uh, God, I can't think of – there's another player very similar to uh, Ebiketti, a guy from Penn State. So it's like we already kind of got these guys that are sort of projects and maybe able to play on the defensive end, may not. Um, so I just feel like this is another one of those picks. I don't know who else was available at this point, but – I wouldn't have been upset at him if the Falcons had gone out and gotten a wide receiver because I feel like our receiving core is very, very thin. And I would have liked to have seen, um, you know, if you couldn't get a better defensive end here, I would have liked to have seen the Falcons draft a receiver potentially. Yeah, just stay offense there. Yeah. I still think they're going to address that in free agency a little bit more. But, yeah, we're still a little light there. Yeah. Yeah, like the fact that – 
the guy from Oakland is our second receiver, Mac Hollis. Yeah. Um, Scotty Miller. Yeah, Scotty Miller was signed too, but it's like, you know, Mac Hollis only has one decent season, and now he's being given the keys to be the number two receiver. Yeah, two receiver, but you've also got Pitts. You've got Pitts, and don't forget about Johnny John Smith yeah. and, you know, Bijan now, Corderell. So I, I don't think a number like two wide receiver is necessarily going to be like. I mean, obviously they'll be used a lot, but it's right. kind of like different in this offense when you're going to be true. Have a three-headed running back monster. I would just like to with just take versatility, a, taking a chance on a guy who may be able to. You know, we've seen so many good receivers drafted in the third and fourth rounds recently. So just dude, we picked up. I can't remember the dude's name. He played at like Eastern Carolina, like this undrafted free agent that we picked up mm-hmm. like this year. Who I'm assuming will be in training camp. And, you know, you watch a guy's tape and he looks great, but of this course. guy just looked like an absolute monster. Like, playing like subdivision one schools, too. So, you never know. You never you, know. You go out and get a guy like that. Like, no. take, take your shot. Sure. Good scouting. Right. Um, all right. Let's talk uh, round four. Clark Phillips, cornerback out of Utah. Um, this guy is someone who gets me pretty excited. Um, 27 passes defended and eight interceptions over the last two seasons as a, you know, as a cornerback, that's pretty damn good. Uh, seems to be a very like gadgety, uh, hyper aware, you know, sort of guy that's full of energy and as uh, does a pretty good job in coverage. Obviously. Um, I like this pick. I mean, even with, um, bringing in, uh, Jeff Okuda and, you know, getting Bates and, you know, you obviously have, um, AJ Terrell on the outside. I think cornerback is definitely something that we can continue to improve upon. No, this sounds, this dude sounds like a stud. Like he's five, he's only five, nine, but like if he were like, you know, six, one, six, two, yeah, he'd be like a first round draft pick. Right. He apparently used to lock down, um, Drake London. Right. Playing, uh, you know, they both played on the West coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it seems like a steal and a guy who's like going to be, you know, our nickel, possibly starting cornerback yeah so um yeah that's awesome yeah seems some uh some analysts is such a hard word to say analysts say that sometimes he goes uh for broke a little too much on pass coverage like going for picks when he should probably make a tackle but you know that's something that can be taught and instilled in somebody and sure. obviously the nfl moves at such a faster pace he's going to find out real quick that you can't really you can't really survive in the nfl if that's just like how you play the majority of the time yeah. so um, but love the fact they led the Pac-12 and, and passes defended in picks last season. So good stuff. Um, I like this pick. We'll, we'll see what happens with it. Um, no picks in round five, Adam. I think one of those picks was used to get um, your boy Bergeron. Um, no picks in round six either. Then we get to round seven. Fun times. Uh, round seven, we got DeMarco Helms. Sounds like I'm the guy reading the the draft pick at the end, not knowing who the hell anybody is. Uh, safety from Alabama. Yeah. Don't know much about him. Like the fact that we actually picked a guy from uh, Alabama, though. You know, they always produce good players for the most part. So I, I you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I've read a whole bunch of things about our seventh round draft pick. I heard he's a good special teamer. Yeah, and you can never have enough of those guys. Um, you know, did start three years um at alabama so that says a lot and led alabama with 108 tackles last year so guy is not afraid to hit somebody 
sure. Adam's saying wrap it up. So yeah, let's yeah. move on. Right. <laughs> I thought I thought the seventh round was going to be real quick. Quick, we drafted these guys. All right, we drafted Javon Glenn, <laughs> guard out of South Carolina. Uh, who the hell knows? He's very undersized. 6'2", 297 pounds. What the hell are we doing here? I don't know, Graham. 297 pounds, is that undersized yes. for a guard? Yes, you need all your guards to be big, beefy boys. We need to be the 320, 330, 340 range, man. What? Eat some ribs. All right, now I got to fact check you. Look at how big Lindstrom is. I feel like you're probably... Look at Lindstrom. I feel like you're probably... Look basing. at Lindstrom. Guaranteed he's at least 315. Let's look at this Falcons roster. So Matt Hennessy is 307. Bergeron, 322. Lindstrom 307. <laughs> Jalen Mayfield is 320. Is that what you want? Big beefy yeah, boys. Yeah, big beefy suck. boys. Yeah. That's my favorite. Is all all your big boys suck, Graham. I think you're living no. in like 2005. Bergeron's not. Uh, Bergeron's 322. Okay. Lindstrom only being 307. Okay. But usually. Matthews is 309. Okay. McGarry is 306. All right. Shows what I know. I think you're living in like. Like I said, 2005. No, I think I lived in like 1994. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have big, beefy boys. 340 pound guys that can't even move out of bed to yeah, be no. protecting our I think it's about having quick feet nowadays, Graham. Yeah. You still gotta be, you gotta a be versatile. Boy. You still gotta be a beefy boy. I mean, not that beefy. Yeah, I mean, you can't be me or you out there. That would be a uh, damn disaster. Yeah. But, you know, I think defensive linemen are a lot, not smaller, but quicker nowadays. So. Sure. Got to be able to move as an offensive line. Yeah, yeah. The guy who preaches about trenches. A little disappointed in yeah. your trench knowledge, Graham. Shows my ignorance. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's your draft. <laughs> well, I'm glad we did the seventh round. Now now, he, now he's smiling. At first he was looking at me when I was talking about uh, DeMarco Hallam's like, what the hell are we doing? Yep. Um, so, overall thoughts on the draft? I feel like it rounded out. One of the best off seasons we've ever seen from the Falcons. Oh, wow. Yeah, overall, I was happy with it. Like I said, I would have liked to have drafted a receiver higher. Um, that's really like my only – we've talked about Bijan already. You can go back and forth on that. But like my only like real like glaring thing was like I would have really liked to have drafted a receiver. But other than that, solid, um, solid draft. Like B-plus kind of stuff, I'd say. Um, so, yeah. We'll see how these guys perform in training camp. It's going to be just around the corner. Be here before you know it. And It uh, all comes down to Ritter, man. Yeah. I think, like you said, the pieces are there. Uh, the offensive line is there. You know, I feel – I saw someone describing it the other day as like, you know, you could take – there's like, you know, your top six to like eight quarterbacks out there, and a lot of teams like take a swing – to try to find another top six or eight quarterback where there's like a whole tier of like middle tier quarterbacks that you can win a Super Bowl with. So maybe like if you get a guy who you believe who can be a middle tier quarterback, just put the pieces around him mm -hmm. and let it work versus like constantly taking swings on first round quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the Falcons made such a good decision not getting Justin Fields. You saw how he got absolutely just destroyed last year in Chicago. Not doubting his talent at all. It's just like when you have a shitty offensive line and you get a rookie quarterback back there and you have a, you don't have great receivers around you either. There's a reason that guy was running for like 200 yards a game at times last year is because he didn't have anyone to throw the damn ball to and he wasn't protected. So he had to snap the ball and 
freaking move around or he's going to get more killed than he already was being killed during yep. the, you know during the season. So um yeah, we'll see what happens with with Ritter. Um I'm really confident in Ritter, honestly. I feel I, the Falcons still made a huge mistake, I think, by not putting him in sooner. Would have liked him to get eight games as opposed to four. But the progression was great. And uh, not sitting here saying he's going to be, you know, the guy, but I'm feeling confident that he could show us he could be the guy this year. Yeah. And not not to be the constant just Homer trust the, the team. You know, just like with Vaughn Grissom, the team said he wasn't ready. So, you know, maybe with Ritter, he wasn't ready until the very – last few games maybe didn't have a good grasp on the playbook who knows maybe who knows i just think regardless i would like to just throw him out there and see what let him get let him get killed like justin fields think about uh well no because like our offensive line was a lot better uh this year um but uh whoever the steelers quarterback was i can't remember his name Um, mason rudolph no it wasn't mason rudolph um steelers started a rookie last year and I think they brought him in like game four, and he got his ass kicked for like first like four or five weeks. And they turned into a pretty solid little quarterback by the end of the year. So they got like a full year of like development sure. with him on the field as opposed to a quarter of the season with, with Ritter. So I, I don't know. And, the, and it's just frustrating where it's like, we're still in it, so we're going to, you know, keep uh, Mariota. It's like, you were never fucking in it. You think you were going to like win a Super Bowl with uh, Marcus Mariota? You're not in it. It's ridiculous. Make the playoffs. That doesn't matter. You're not going to win the Super Bowl with this with that roster last year, and you're probably not going to win it with this year. So why? What do you have to lose? Get the kid in there halfway through the season. That should have been the objective day one. So you're not, you're not putting money on the Falcons for the Super Bowl this year? No, not at all. I do think they can. Could be good odds. I think they can. Uh, they could can, make a run. I think they can definitely beat the over. I think the over is eight and a half. I think there's a strong chance they can win nine games, if not ten. Now's the time. Like, seriously, like, they are on the clock now in terms of actually fielding a decent football team. Atlanta sports, te- teams go up and down. You know, it was the Falcons were down here at the lowest. You know, Braves had been at the top for a while, but Hawks were kind of in the middle. Hawks almost passed the Braves at one point. For a second, yeah. Now they're dropping. Falcons are up to the middle as far as expectations. Yeah, yeah. Well... So yeah, sit down. This has been uh, today's Atlanta Zone. Thank you, as always, for listening. We hope you are well out there. We will see you, I assume, next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hoff Thomas up. Hoff Thomas up.